What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. All right. Well, hey, welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest today, Mr. Philip White. Philip, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. So let's see here, my friend. I think where we should start is maybe how we all know each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you all, I'll, I'll just say you are our first uh, alumni that we've had on the show that's not a staff member. So we're very excited to have you and get that other perspective that we've yet to talk about yet. So there you go. I kind of opened the door a little bit as to how we know each other. Yeah, we all met each other uh, just to get it stored. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Like I said, I really do appreciate being here. Yeah, of course, so. man. We're super we're super excited to have you on the show. And kind of like Angie said, I think the, the client perspective has been missed from the podcast. And, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of all – that's our business. That's what we do, you know? So I'm really excited to talk to someone that has been through the program and is succeeding and is doing super well and kind of just riff on what treatment looked like for you, maybe what led up to treatment. We don't have to go into that too much, but maybe if we started there, uh, Philip, that'd mm -hmm. be awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'll start off just kind of, I guess, maybe teasing something. Um, I think what you just said on the client perspective, is maybe something we might talk about a little bit, you know, later on in the conversation, but is actually something that's a big part of what I'm trying to do now. Um, being a person in recovery, um, kind of tying that into the much larger community. So, but no, uh, I came to Elevate. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, February 7th of 2019, kind of the short version of my story uh started drinking at age six real alcoholic no yeah, that's young <laughs> Philip. that's <laughs> yeah. a little young <laughs> uh, but uh yeah no i didn't fall into it late i fell into it pretty early but uh i mean alcohol had pretty much taken over every aspect of my life i had known for years and years that i had an issue a severe issue but you know just like most addicts i uh, found excuses justifications just so many different things i just wasn't committed to stopping and didn't feel like i had the tools or you know, the intelligence to be able to stop um or excuse me not the intelligence the necessary information to be able to stop i looked for treatment here locally uh, for quite some time ended up doing two um kind of stents I say it that way for a specific reason. Um, <laughs> at a local treatment here, uh, center here, uh, 28 day program, and just I uh, was not a fan. I'm not going to go into it too much because I don't like to trash anything that's worked for anyone else. Um, but it just would not, it, I couldn't find the help that I needed there. Uh, thankfully, was turned on to Elevate. Uh, my better half played a huge role in that. I can say that now, you know, I, when I was still in active addiction, even though I knew I needed help, 
thankfully she was kind of the one that gave me the ultimatum of look, either you do this or, you know, you're homeless and probably the best thing she ever did for me. I mean, I'll be forever indebted to her for that. So, yeah, I have a lot of people ask me like what it is that leads people to treatment, you know, what makes them decide. And 99% of the time, it's something like that. It's an ultimatum either by the courts Mm -hmm. or a significant other or a family member or something, something pushes you to that point. Most people don't just voluntarily decide to show up one day. I'm tired of using. That's usually not what occurs. Yeah, I'm bored. So I don't know. I probably got 90 plus days to kill. Let's go see how it goes. Yeah, no, I mean, why you're not? Absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> At least before uh, po or pre COVID. I mean, during COVID, people would be like, I, you know, didn't have any work to do and kind of had this drinking problem. So I thought might as well pop in. That did happen this year. That's true. I think for the first time in my experience in treatment, that finally happened. People like, I mean, I drink a little bit, but I got nothing else going on and wanted to get healthy. And I'm like, okay, cool. We like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, whatever it takes. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I'd imagine where you learn to never say never. Yeah. So. Oh, man. Yeah. I wish I, wish I could explain some of the, the things I thought I'd never see, but I can't. <laughs> well, here's the way that always goes for me. Um, and I'm sure you guys can relate what I used to always tell people. And now kind of since I'm in more of the political sphere, what I always tell people is, look, I'm Irish. I'm a redneck. I managed a gas station for years and I was a bartender. So if you A, say anything that offends me or B, say or do anything that I've never done myself or seen, I'm just going to shake your hand. Yeah, I'm impressed. Uh, good on you. Yeah. <laughs> The very broad spectrum. Hats off to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the like self-proclaimed redneck. I like that. <laughs> hey, I don't mind. I sound like it anymore, but I am from a small town called Whiteville, North Carolina. So it's down in there somewhere. So <laughs> there's a little, there's a little twang in there. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things. Everyone here, I get it all the time where they're like, you from California. And then when I was in California, everybody was like, God, what part of the South are you from? <laughs> so, yep. I don't know who my people are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, Philip, is there anything else you wanted to add to kind of your story leading up to treatment? Or do you want to just jump right into kind of what treatment looked like? Um, no, I mean, I think that's a pretty good synopsis. Like I said, without going too much into detail, the one thing that I will say to people, is I think, and I actually comment on this sometimes, I think now that I've been in recovery for you know, multiple years and people are used to seeing me when they see me in public or seeing me, it's weird to even say this, but on television or in ads and stuff like that, I'm in a suit or, you know, it's in the context of a television show or politics or all these big things which have, are now my world. I think the common thing that people think is, well, he wasn't really an alcoholic. You know, because you do see a lot of that, you know, and even when I speak to people who don't have substance abuse issues, I think that's one thing that's been mentioned several times is, well, I mean, were you really that bad, though? And I'm like, without going too much into it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And that's one thing I think that we all have to do, remind ourselves of. And 
you know, because I think over time, especially as people in recovery, we have a tendency to kind of paint things over maybe a little bit like, hey, it wasn't that bad. But for me, it's always, I won't say rewarding because it's definitely not, but it's always a good thing for me to do just to kind of not hold myself, you know, in a process of shame, but to be like, yeah, I definitely did that. Eh. Because I think, you know, that can be healthy is a process of reminding us where we came from. I think it's really important, too. That way, in your mind, you don't ever get reasonable with, yeah, maybe I wasn't that bad. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I'm better now and I could just oh, yeah. go have a drink or two. And, you know, knowing yourself and knowing mm-hmm. what one or two drinks could lead to is is just dangerous and detrimental. So I think it's really wise for you to mm-hmm. con- constantly sort of not dwell on it, but keep it there, the reality, without sugarcoating it. No. Yeah, I like that. I think, you know, in AA, they say too, like, don't forget what it's like to be a newcomer. You know, like, because mm-hmm. what I was hearing too, kind of, Philip, and correct me if I'm wrong, was it sounded like people were trying to, like, dilute how bad your alcoholism was to make themselves, them, their selves feel better. Like, oh, Philip's doing so well. He must have not been that bad because I was that bad and I can't do what Philip's doing. So he must have not been that bad. Did you feel that way at all? Um, Of course, it's a person by person situation. You know, I mean, one thing that being in recovery has taught me because I was dealing with a lot of, well, a lot of issues um, that ultimately manifested in, you know, my addiction and will, you know, but one thing that I've learned is to be much more present with individual conversations and to actually listen when people you know hear them when they're speaking and kind of if they're gruff or rude or a little off-putting now my thought is you know kind of trying to understand possibly why they're that way mm-hmm. as opposed to before where i would have either internalized it or would have just gotten super angry that's an important skill i think they call that emotional intelligence <laughs> yeah, I don't know, i'm not that smart yeah. no. <laughs> So what was your career like prior to treatment? Were you established in a career uh, or were you the bartender? What were you doing right prior to entering? Mm -hmm. Uh, Prior to going to Elevate, thankfully, uh, I did have a career which, well, allowed me far too much free time, but like, you know, gave me a a professional career as a business analyst and like sales manager for company mattress firm. Uh, so I had amazing insurance, you know, I looked externally like I had everything together. You know, I did wear suits or every day, uh, was in your know, managerial, you know, head position. So, I mean, thankfully I was in a position like that, you know, because when you talk about issues of, you know, inequity, which kind of works more towards what I'm hoping to accomplish in my area, I was just really lucky to have the sort of people in my corner and then the insurance and other things to allow me access to just the wonderful things that I was able to get. Awesome. So then let's talk, let's pick it up there and what your journey was like uh, after landing in California. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. In California, uh, just mildly hungover. And by mildly, I mean, exceptionally, um, <laughs> no. Um, being brutally honest, when I 
first got to elevate, like I think most people, when you enter, you know, any sort of treatment, uh, I was pretty well emotionally broken uh, and from the hangover, pretty well physically. Uh, no, I wasn't sure about much in my life. Uh, I had, you know, drank until the point where my life was completely at a breaking point. I not boy right prior to treatment, but you know, sometime before that had, you know, contemplated, you know, suicide a few times. Um, just, I mean, all the horrible things that you would associate with addiction. And, uh, so my first day, uh, I remember in the cabin, just besides feeling awful, uh, just sitting outside and smoking cigarettes almost endly, endlessly, which thankfully I quit smoking about three Congrats, and a half months man, ago. man, that's huge. So, but, yeah, man, I had to start eating healthy. Just, <laughs> uh, the last two left. habits, cigarettes no and <laughs> sugar. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> killing me. But no, it is funny, like I cut out... Sugar. Um, another thing that'll confuse people about where I'm from is I don't drink sweet tea anymore. I have switched to unsweet tea, which I mean may not be a big deal in California, but I'm pretty sure they're going to kick me out of the state, North Carolina. Yeah, that's a big deal back there. So, but no, I mean I cut. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. But uh, I'll, I'm expecting to get a lot of yank from Ram here, are you? <laughs> yes. But no, anyway, kind of bringing it back. No. Uh, the time at Elevate was, without sugarcoating sugar it, it was definitely the most difficult thing and experience that I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, exceptionally rewarding, of course, the campus is beautiful, the staff were all excellent, but I think if you're going to say that you had a wonderful time in a treatment center, then it's honestly probably not a great treatment center. You know, when you're dealing with confronting your substance abuse issues, you need to be delving into kind of the meat and potatoes of that. And no one, or at least no one that I'm aware of, is overly eager to do that or, you know, really wants to. You know, we drink or you use drugs, you use substances to not feel feelings and to supplant you know, any sort of self-reflection. So to have to dive into all of your traumas and everything else in a relatively short period of time, uh, feels like a lot longer when you're going through it, but uh, is going to be a very emotionally and physically taxing process. So, I mean, even when I was there though, I will say, because now I look back on it, I'm like, oh, it was a great time. Yeah, <laughs> But even when I was there, it's funny because Having been to other treatment facilities kind of here and uh, not having a great experience, it was funny when I got there, even ever, excuse me, even after having been there for even two or three days, I kept trying to base my experience off of you know, previous treatment programs to Elevate. Because if I'm being brutally honest, I had no hope whatsoever that Elevate would be any different than the facility uh, that I went to here. Thankfully, uh, I was proven wrong, but I mean, I think kind of trying to compare the two would, it's just illogical. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it makes me kind of, 
I mean, I don't want to compare, but what would you say was was different in your experience at Elevate? What did you find more helpful than maybe the other treatment centers, if you if you feel comfortable answering that? Yeah, um, like I said, without speaking d- directly and too negatively, because like I said, I've been working with people here and in recovery. Like I said, I don't ever speak negatively of anything that's ever that will work for anyone. I mean, a given example being kind of the faith-based treatment. Uh, personally, that would really never work for me. But if it works for someone else, I'm totally fine with it. Uh, the 12-step, like I said, I just would not work for me. I tried and I tried and I gave it my all. Um, but it just, it, I couldn't get it to click. So I think the biggest thing, and I've talked about this quite a bit kind of in the local area here uh, because everything here is cost based and that was one wall I just kept running into and when I try to discuss with people the issues that I was having the response that I always got was well this is the only way to get sober it's right there in the rules if it doesn't work for you then it's because you're not doing it and I was like I am I, doing it I swear to you I'm doing everything I can I yeah um, but no there was <laughs> insurmountable differences uh i'll give an example so at the treatment center that i attended here i said not gonna call it out by name but uh it was 28 day treatment and i had one one hour meeting with a counselor after at the end of it i asked all right so do we want to go ahead and schedule our next meeting now or do we just like what is our meeting schedule because I'm a very detail-oriented guy. Like, I like to play in things. And he kind of looked at me very strangely and was like, what do you mean? And I was like, okay, I'm, I don't know. It's a pretty self-explanatory request. Uh, when is our next meeting? And he was like, well, do you feel like you need <laughs> another meeting? And I was like, dude, we just met for 40 minutes. One time, I... <laughs> Yeah. And the fact that I'm having to say, yes, I don't think all of my traumas and issues have been discovered, discussed, and wrapped up in one 40-minute session to you, and you look flabbergasted when I'm saying that, it doesn't give me a lot of faith in this program, if I'm being honest. Oh, man. I feel your pain, you know? man. I felt that in my in my heart, dude. It's like, so are you better? Here, I'll give you another quick example. Yeah. 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 We, we good now? Get it off we your good? chest? Stop drinking. But, yeah. <laughs> Go get him, Slugger. Yeah. But no, here's, a, here's another quick one for you. So the exit strategy um, at the facility here, literally just uh, on your last day, you had to go around all the departments, get them to sign. Yeah, you guys are familiar with that part. However, that was the first and only time that I met with anyone about an exit strategy. And the meeting was less than five minutes. Wow. The questions were, so where are you going? Are you going home? Okay, cool. Do you live by yourself? No. Okay, cool. Um, Do you have a therapist? And I had said no. And she was like, okay, well, you need to find one. Um, All right, here. And then sign off on it. You're out the door. I mean, to contrast that, obviously, you know, to anyone that's not familiar with kind of the process at Elevate, you know, at least when I was there. It's, you know, a multi-week process. 
you know, discussing so many different things, um, even, you know, your emotional well-being and how you continue your recovery after, you know, you exit the program. So to even try to compare the two is not even like trying to compare apples and oranges. It'd be like trying to compare apples and giraffes. It's just, yeah, they're both living things, but nah, that's about all I got in common. So... No, those are two great examples, man. I, I appreciate you bringing those up. Those are huge, especially as far as like the therapy and the planning, kind of the, the two two bugaboos, two real important pieces to treatment, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember who your counselor or therapist was while you were at, at Elevate? Um, I do. Do you want me to name by name? Yeah, or? yeah I want to know who it was. Okay. Scott. Uh, Scott. God, we love the Scott. Man. Scott's the man. Yeah, we did a podcast with Scott, and he just kind of really let off the gas and just started talking <laughs> some crazy stuff. He's, that's a smart guy right there. Scott's still doing the same thing. I think that might be why he and I got along so well as we talk about this most random stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scott is like a very random guy. Funny fact about Scott, Philip, you might appreciate this. He uh, did two uh, MMA fights at the ripe age of 42 years old at in, in the heavyweight division. <laughs> okay. He told me that I the mean, other day. I was like, that's the crazy thing I didn't talk crap to him then. Yeah. No, I'm just glad I didn't talk <laughs> right? crap. Yeah. It could have taken you down. In retrospect, yeah. I'm proud of my decision. Yeah, he's a sleeper. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and another funny fact I've known Scott longer than anybody else taught. wow yeah yeah Scott and I go back I won't even tell you how many years but I've known Scott longer than anybody else I've known. oh yeah I love Scott man well I'm glad you guys got to meet and I'm glad you guys got a lot out of it I kind of want to segue to Philip into do you so you were there for 90 days do you remember mm-hmm. Was there like a pivotal point while in treatment where you kind of felt like, oh man, like I got this or I'm getting better or I'm making progress or this isn't going to be as difficult as I thought? Did you have any moments like that while you were here? Um, I did. I mean, I won't call them, you know, epiphanies or anything like that, but I mean, I'll kind of, I guess, give you an example on this. My girlfriend and I, like I said, when I had gone out to California, we had broken up. Uh, like I said, I was not a good man. I was not a good partner for her. I, you know, just, I just wasn't, uh, no justifications. I just wasn't. Uh, but she had agreed to be my kind of contact person all the way across the country. Uh, and, you know, then at least speak with you guys about my recovery. And so I had committed to speak with her every day or every you know, night. I remember about a week and a half, two weeks in, once I was starting to just barely, you know, touch the bottom or the tip of the iceberg on things. I told her something, which is, you know, I'll, I'll just never forget it because it's something that's stuck in my head. Me from before. Uh, so in active use and then even, you know, still in active use, but trying to find help and just not doing a good job, um, like not being able to find the tools. I made a lot of justifications, a lot of lies, like every addict does. 
but I did a lot of apologizing. I think most of it was just to try to not have to deal with the consequences of my actions. And, but what I told her on the phone that night, because I could tell at least for the first few weeks, she really just didn't even want to talk to me. Um, she had never said as much, you know, and she, you know, wouldn't do that. Um, or maybe she would, I don't know, but, uh, she, you, you know, we had been together at that point for about seven and a half years. And so you know someone very well, especially their tonal inflections uh, at that point. So I just knew. And so I just kind of caught her off guard, I think, with saying, you know, something to the point of, I was like, you know, I know in the past when I was in treatment, we kind of just had this expectation that after a few days, I would have some sort of epiphany and would be able to do a 180 on this. And I would immediately apologize for everything I'd done, everything I'd said. I, I'm sorry if that's what you're looking for, but I can't do that. Like, I'll tell you why, though, is because I actually, for the first time, feel like I might be getting something that might help me. Uh, like I said, I was still in that phase where I didn't have, I came in having no hope. Uh, I won't say that I had full hope, you know, uh, but I was starting to get there. And so I just kind of explained to her, I'm learning tools, um, starting to kind of feel like the person maybe that I should have been. So before I just start issuing apologies to everyone, I want to make sure that I am the most me that I can be and that I know how to give you the apologies that you deserve because I've kind of half-assed and just been like, I'm so sorry, you know, and even to the point of, you know, crying about your actions and things like that. I've done, I had done that so many times that I wanted to hold off on it and make sure that these would be the last times that I ever did have to apologize for all that, you know, all of those actions. And one of the things that she shared with me, which just absolutely broke my heart. It uh, still does, honestly, when I think about it, you know, just kind of my, the way my actions affected her. And of course, at the time, I couldn't see it. But one of the things she told me is she, when she would come home from work and I was either off or, you know, just for some reason was at the house and had been all day, she would at times sit in her car and cry before she came in the house because she just wasn't sure which version of me was going to be waiting on, you know, was it going to be the version that already made dinner, you know, and had been doing laundry all day long. Was it the part of the version that was just passed out on the floor drunk, you know, and that's because that was kind of the duality of my drinking is I could go, I mean, several you know, days and weeks um, without drinking. But I was an emotional drinker, so once I felt emotionally overwhelmed or anything like that, it was just all on. And I wasn't stopping till I literally couldn't drink anymore. Wow. So hearing... Glad I don't ever have yeah. to go through that again. No, that's super true. It's, it's the people we love, hurting them is, is the, the most difficult part sometimes, I think. And hearing that, too, is it's super hard to hear and it's super hard to receive and... 
I like how you kind of acknowledged that you wanted to make substantial change before you tried to apologize again. Uh, I definitely can relate to that experience Mm -hmm. of you didn't want your words to be empty anymore, you know? And that's a huge change. That's a huge change. I I noticed that exact same change in myself where I waited till the, Mm -hmm. the end of the program to say, sorry, you know, because we needed to prove that we even were changing. Yeah. So I, I like how you highlighted that. Cause I think a lot of people yeah. have that experience and um, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. It's hard to label what that experience looks like, but you felt it. I felt it. You know, I'm sure Angie felt it too. Oh yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I spent most of my program being in denial. <laughs> well, I mean, even to the, go ahead. I'm sorry, oh, I said I spent that. most of my program being in denial. Like I wasn't admitting to anything because I was still not admitting yeah. to anything. So it took it was it took me a while to finally you know get to that place. Yeah. Well, obviously we're glad you got there. No, I mean even to the point where now or not now. I mean I've pretty much made my rounds. <laughs> I think uh, it's been over two years if I haven't made my rounds. I've just haven't been trying. <laughs> but no, uh, one thing. When I was, you know, doing my just kind of amends and, you know, apologizing to people, I said it to, like I said, my girlfriend, and then I kind of had one of those moments where I was like, oh, that was good. Huh. I got to remember that. I'm going to say this <laughs> to everybody. And it won't cheapen it, actually, because I totally need it. Uh, but and that's why I thought it was so good is because it kind of was, you know, it's genuinely my feelings when I was able to apologize, what I, part of what I said was, look, I'm not going to ask you for forgiveness because to me, that's unfair. You were put on the spot all the years of our relationship. When I was drinking, you were put on the spot for all of that. In my opinion, for me to ask you for your forgiveness would be putting you the pressure on you again. And I'm not going to do that. I've done that for long enough. So what I would like to ask from you though, is just time, time to see hopefully a change in me. And I don't care if it takes six weeks or 60 years, hopefully one day you'll be able to see that. And that will be that exact moment will be the day that I've earned your forgiveness. And like I said, then after that was like, oh, that was good. <laughs> but it was genuinely, you know, what I felt. And so, you know, that was, you know, what even, you know, when I'm kind of working with people now, that's something I mentioned to them. You know, you'll know that you're in a better headspace if you're able to have thoughts like that and not also think, you know, how can I get away with something or, you know, not making it a self-serving in any way, you know, sort of. I'm sure she felt the difference too. Like you could tell how it was received on the other side that she felt that genuineness. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, so I'm not sure if I was doing the amends process during your treatment. Do you remember by chance, Philip? Was I doing the amends process with clients? Mm, I believe you were. Uh, I'm old <laughs> Me now. Me too, man. So. <laughs> I'm yeah. almost 30, Philip. Yeah. I believe so, but I'm not 100%. Oh, whatever. I'm, on, I'm one Damn. year from 40. 
I'm in that odd age too. So like the, with the way that I speak thing, nobody will claim me. I'm also in that age bracket where to younger people, I'm super old. And then, but I can't say anything about being old because then older people are like, you're not old. <laughs> you're stuck in the so, middle. Yeah. Just don't <laughs> say anything. Yeah. No, dude. What are you going to do? That's super funny. Well, I mean, I guess the point I was kind of going to get into was, you know, while like running the amends process and doing that process for people and clients, it's your your example is is kind of what I get to see happen in real time where asking for forgiveness can almost be like manipulating of us. Like I need you to forgive me so I can move forward when really we need to do whatever we can Mm do to restore that person that we harmed so i like that you highlighted that because i think that's such an important piece when we start to do it for them and ourselves then we can get that forgiveness that we were looking for anyways but we got to go about it the right way um a question i have for you philip is (laughs) (laughs) see. so my my the way I think about you, Philip, is you're an intelligent person, right? And I mean that as a compliment, but it also gets into kind of my question. So mm-hmm. sometimes I've seen people that are intelligent or critical thinkers or big planners. I see them struggle with sobriety because they tend to overthink it. I see them struggle with sobriety and being in the present moment because they're always planning or analyzing or overthinking. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of get your perspective of how that played a role in you getting sober, if it did at all. Um, Oh, it absolutely did. And I would absolutely 100% agree with you because that was genuinely my experience. Um, my issues, uh, well, one of my big issues was negative self-talk. I kind of lived in this dual space where I have always been my own worst enemy and would just absolutely tear myself down at any given chance, just emotionally. Uh, while at the same time, when I was in active use in my head, being the most ego-driven person that I knew. Because I might be a worthless piece of you-know-what, but I'm a pretty smart (laughs) cookie. So, I mean, like I said, it's weird to look at the duality on that now and be like, what? Like, that doesn't, you know, but that was kind of the one thing that I held on to. You know, yeah, I might suck as a human being. But I'm smart. But, I mean, I read pretty quickly. So, yeah, there's that. But, uh, no, I actually read a study out of, I believe it was, was either the Betty Ford? center or was John talking I, I can't remember um, where they were talking about that, where they said that typically the people that have the most difficult time in recovery are people that are either highly intelligent or work in a highly specified field, uh, things like surgeons or airline pilots, because they're kind of used to being the king of their roost. You know, they're used to, and I think a lot of ego goes into that. But they also stated that those sort of people, I say those people, I kind of am one of those people, but no, uh, also tend to, once it clicks in our heads and we're able to find the logic in it and find the tools to assist in that, 
also tend to have the easiest time maintaining our recovery. And that was 100% the experience that I had. You know, I, I'm one of those people, I can pretty much figure most things out if I have the tools. When it came to my addiction, I just couldn't find anything that clicked for me and that I could make make sense. And so once I did, it just, oh, yeah, oh, that was obvious. Huh, I guess I'm not that smart. Hmm. You know. Mm. I, I like that because I've been thinking I wanted to ask you this question. So part of what's different about Elevate is we, you know, we do mindfulness, we do one-on-ones, but we also attack it mm-hmm. from the mental aspect, which is the curriculum where you do a lot of the work by yourself mm-hmm. with yourself and really delve into there. Uh, yeah. Then we have like the teams where you work with each other and, and the peer groups and things like that. And then we also have exercise where a lot of people, you know, find that helps them stay sober. So for you, uh, what what do you think was the number one thing that contributed to your sobriety or wanting to get sober out of attacking it from all those different angles? Um, I don't know ultimately that I would boil it down to just a single, you know, sort of aspect of the treatment. Um, I think if, you know, I could have done that, then you'd be like, oh, I'll give you the rest of that. But I think for me, it was just a perfect combination of things. Um, I still spend time every morning being mindful, uh, practicing mindfulness. That's really helped me. One of my issues uh, has always been kind of my mind race being in 19 million different places and, you know, everything from thinking about general statutes to mathematical (laughs) formulas to, I mean, just I'm, crazy person in my head it's all over the place uh like literally we were laying in bed the other day and i had not heard a patty labelle song uh probably 10 15 years and it just randomly popped into my head and i told my girlfriend a random fact about patty labelle she didn't care wasn't interested and then i was like sorry i don't, <laughs> I don't know where that came from but uh so no the mindfulness has definitely helped me that was kind of the Ace in the hole that I did not expect literally anything out of. And it's, if I had to pick one, would I have to say that would be the key center to everything else? Um, but at the same time, I don't know if I can say that because so many other parts of the treatment did help me uh, deal with my emotional, physical traumas. Um, processing my shame, you know, and then also the socialization of being able to see that kind of no matter where you come from or what you've done, there are people like you. And then there are people who've had worse experiences. So, I mean, I still, uh, actually I'm lying. I don't do it every day, but, uh, I still do yoga at the house at least several times a week. So. Dude, there we go. That's an amazing answer. It's funny too, because my uh, let's talk about like IQ question was going to lead right into how did meditation mm-hmm. and mindfulness show up in your life? Um, and honestly, that question is just a big projection of my own life and feeling that I was kind of intelligent and feeling that my mind ran. So I kind of relate to you on that aspect. So I could imagine that being able to slow the mind down, slow the thoughts down, pick and choose which ones are important for right now 
might have been helpful for you as well. Well, and also even to the point where, you know, and I'm obviously not telling you guys anything you don't know. You're the ones that taught <laughs> me this. But uh, <clears throat> I'm going to parrot this back to you. Uh, no, uh, the thing that's been really helpful for me in my, you know, two years since leaving Elevate has been not or understanding that I don't have to put everything in boxes. You know, everything is not good or bad. The majority of things on this earth can just exist and have no effect on me. You know, it's something, you know, happens in my day and I'm like, there used to be, that may have been the one thing that would have pushed me over the edge and would have led to me drinking. Um, or it might've just been something that made me angry and I internalized it. And now I can just look at it and be like, Oh, well, moving on. I think I actually feel pretty bad for my girlfriend at times because my views as far as like what genuinely makes me even mildly upset is like 700 miles longer. So I find that there are times when she wants me to be upset about something. You know, how that you know, works in relationships where like they're upset about something. So they want oh, you to yeah. be upset about it. You know, so you can both be upset at that thing. And I'm just like, well, you know, honey, I mean, he has feelings oh, too, man. you know, <laughs> which doesn't really help my case at all. I thought about it because I remember seeing uh, an interview with Joan Rogers, who was Mr. Rogers' wife. And she said that she might be the only person on earth who ever hated that man. Wow. She said, because he was himself like that on stage persona all the time. So she said, you know, there are times just like that in relationships where she just had a miserable day and just wanted him to be angry. Like she was angry at some outside, you know, force. And that's exactly what he would do where he'd just be like, well, you know, honey, I just, I think, you know, you might just be, I don't want to tell you how to feel, but maybe we should look at this in the larger picture. And she's like, I almost punched that dude like 200 times a month. <laughs> oh man. I can, I can relate to that. Um, I can relate to that situation. Sometimes I have to go home and be like, you're not a counselor. You're a boyfriend. That's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still could get yelled at. So I try to just, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. How dare they? Oh, whatever man, man. Uh, so philip what did you do to celebrate <laughs> your one year sober how cool was that and what did that look like for you um it was actually a really great time like i said uh kind of tying into it since i had mentioned that we were no longer together when i went to elevate uh kramer and i because she had seen just a complete she always says it's the 180 in me um, or, you know, me getting to be the person that I should have been, um, long before. But so she had agreed, of course, I was on very, very thin ice, um, for <laughs> quite some time, but, uh, which is totally acceptable. I get that. Uh, she surprised me for my one year anniversary and actually held a surprise party. Oh, for yeah. So we had a bunch of friends I had my best friend who lives about three hours away. Um, he came into town, um, we went to a bowling alley and I mean, there was probably 20, 25 people there. So yeah, no, it was a really good time. And the biggest thing for me, I, uh, I will say this, 
since being in recovery, I cried far more now than I ever did. You know, when I was doing all these just awful things, I spent that entire surprise party just being like, ah, man, my stomach's upset. I got to go to the bathroom. I didn't do that one time. I just had to go to the bathroom every time and be like, what is going on with me? <laughs> so damn grateful. <laughs> Too many feelings. Damn emotions. <laughs> uh, all those years but. of suppressed emotions, they just, you know, they just freely come and go now. We're oh, not yeah. so focused on keeping them down. It's like, wow, okay, this is what this feels like. I'm going with it. Yeah. Well, and then I've gotten to the point now where if uh, something, you know, moves me to the point of tears, I even, you know, when I was fresh in recovery, I'd be like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I just, and I would like, I got to go to the bathroom and stuff. And now I just sit there like, I'm going to cry. It's going to happen. Just get ready for but it. I was sad. If you didn't make you cry, you don't have a soul. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, man. Don't judge me. Dude, I, don't I love that. I, love I still, that. I still cry at every graduation. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly like, every single graduation and I told myself the day that I don't cry at a graduation I should probably retire <laughs> it's just you know like you said that's the appropriate yeah. emotion and, and if that goes away then something's not right mm -hmm. no I love that man I love that oh, well yeah. I'm glad you you celebrated so we'll get into what you did for the second year because you've been sober two years plus and that's amazing um, but I was gonna say too every time I celebrate a milestone in recovery I'll like go find a spot by myself and just like sit there and just tear up with gratitude, just kind of for like how far I've come. Yeah. And it's like super appropriate. I definitely find a, a space alone like you in the, maybe not the bathroom, but maybe a rock, you know, or, or somewhere, but I think it's appropriate, you know? So I like that you highlighted that, but what about the, what about the second year? What'd you do, Philip? What'd that one look like? Uh, so the second year was actually a lot more similar to what you were talking about. Of course, with COVID, um, that's just thrown a wrench in just all of our lives. You know, in so many ways, we're ultimately lucky to have our lives, you know, and to have our health. Um, so when we had started to discuss it, I was like, I mean, I just want to sit at the house nice. and be grateful. I mean, before that wouldn't have meant much to me. But being able to just exist in your own space with a woman that you love and that loves you and you've actually worked and put in the time to earn her love and her respect, as opposed to, you know, previously just completely taking that relationship for granted in itself to me is just, or, and definitely was just the most rewarding thing I could think of. It was funny because she bought me, you know, a lot of gifts uh, to celebrate it kind of in the weeks before and leading up to it. And yeah, it's all nice stuff. Like, I mean, it's all stuff that I wanted. I, I love my smartwatch. I really like my, you know, Samsung earbuds, you know, and all these different things that I have. But being able to just kind of exist in space and just be grateful to be happy and to get to work to help other people and to just have had, I, I've had just an absolutely amazing experience over the past two years. And I'm more lucky than even I would ever have dreamed to be 
So to just kind of exist there and be like, whose life am I living? I don't, it's, it's surreal, but it's something that, I mean, kind of to the point of what you were saying, I think if I ever get to the point where I take all these amazing opportunities that are happening and just take them for granted, then I should probably walk away. Because I think at that point, you've just become far too jaded. And the assumption is that you deserve these just amazing things that are happening. And of course, everyone deserves happiness and fulfillment. But I mean, you know, what's happened to me is just way more than I, you know, had expectations on happening. Dude, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I love that, Philip. Thanks for answering that, man. And, uh, you know, congrats on your sobriety. And I think hearing hearing about your success, seeing it on Facebook and, you know, I, I appreciate your Facebook posts cause I feel like I'm there with you, you know? So, I mean, I kind of just wanted to say how proud I was of you and congrats on your recovery and hearing your progress is what makes the job so worth it, you know? And I'm, I'm sure Angie feels that exact same way, but people like you and success in the stories like yours are the reasons we show up to work. That's, this is it, you know? People get their lives back and people become these amazing versions of themselves they thought they could never be. So I just kind of wanted to acknowledge that and acknowledge you, man. So congrats. Well, I like what you said there, Dallas. And I was just talking to somebody about that because I don't feel like we rehabilitate people, which, you know, definition is rehabilitate is to bring back to a prior state. I think we actually Mm -hmm. put people in a much better state where they do even more amazing things. And you are living proof of that with everything that you've done since you've graduated. And I really want you to share what you've been doing in these last two years, especially with COVID and everything else going on, still uh, maintaining sobriety and what you've been able to achieve. Um, I spend a lot of time pretending like I am way smarter than I actually am. Is that a job? Is uh, that actually a job? <laughs> you get paid for that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, not as much as I'd like, but I mean, it's a lot better than, no, I'm kidding. No, so on top of, and this is what I was saying when I was just, I had no expectation of just these just beyond kind of amazing things happening to me. My expectation kind of going into Elevate, uh, and like I said, my case is definitely one in a million. I'm just absolutely lucky in that all these things have fallen into my lap. Um, and I've worked for them. I mean, that's it's not all luck, but luck's a lot of it. I, with COVID coming on, I've always loved to cook. You know, it's always been a passion of mine. But obviously, the ability to eat out uh, kind of diminished. Uh, and we, you know, of course, got a lot of to-go food, but I was doing a lot more cooking. And one thing that I've become a big fan of is just constantly challenging myself always trying to push further, see what I'm capable of and to learn new things. And so I just started doing much more difficult things in the kitchen. Most of them worked. Some of them were abysmal failures, uh, but I learned not to do it again. So no, uh, had a producer reach out to me. She had seen uh, pictures and videos of kind of some of my food. And so she was like, well, I want to schedule a meeting. I was completely blindsided by it. And uh, she offered me a cooking show, which 
here's a little funny sidebar for you. You know, this, and she's a wonderful woman. I love her to death, but she exists in this world of like television, movies and stuff like this. So to her, this is a Tuesday. This is you know nothing strange for her, but I live in the real world. And so when she's just going through her stuff and she's like, yes, yeah, so we'd like to offer you a blah, 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 blah contract with this and this and this and this. And I was just completely silent on the phone. Cause I was like, wait, what did I hear that? Right. Uh, Cause like I said, I mean, for anyone that's listening, I, I don't have, I don't know anyone in the television industry. I mean, I'm so far removed out of that kind of existence and world. So for that to happen, where, where did blind she thing. get her hands but, on the uh, video? Just social media? Thought, like she just saw a Facebook post or how, how did she get, how did this get across to her? Um, well, just sheer luck. Uh, Wilmington is really well known for the movie industry. Uh, they literally call us Hollywood East. Um, like they shot Iron Man 3 here. I mean, they've been shooting movies here. I mean, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies were shot here. I mean, they're literally always shooting something here uh, to the point where I don't know if you guys are Stephen King fans, but a huge number of Stephen King's movies, television shows have been shot here, and several of his stories are actually based oh, wow. in Wilmington. I thought most of them were Maine, where he was so, from, but that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, most of them are in from Gary, Maine, kind of that area, but there are several that are written literally like i'll give you a prime example it's just the first one that pops to mind but have you guys ever seen the movie maximum overdrive where all the trucks come to life and the machines and everything um that whole movie of course was shot here but even in the very opening of the movie it says as the set you know they'll put that at the bottom like where it's located at it says wilmington north carolina but no so that kind of that does exist in this area but it wasn't my world and so she had just seen it, you know, on social media from kind of us knowing, I guess, same the same people. But so, yeah, I have a I have a cooking <laughs> show. Which I still say like that, because sometimes I have to be like, wait, what? Like, even to the point where not even do I have a cooking show, but I have a television program that has my name. in it. Like, I am the showrunner. <laughs> I mean, the show is literally called My Kitchen with Philip White because when we were discussing like Saint thematics and different things like that, the question that I kept asking myself is, uh, do I want a television show? Of course I do. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> uh, someone offers you that, you don't say no. But like, what is my purpose? What am I doing here? Like, what do I have to contribute into that? And the thing ultimately, what it came down to was one of my pet peeves, which is I love cooking shows, but I always hate it when they have these prop kitchens and these super fancy kind of one-off kitchen utensils. Like I made the joke the other day in an interview where I said, you know, this is my 14th century Venetian garlic press like that. What? Those sort of things, in my opinion, only serve to intimidate people into thinking they can't cook at home and they can't replicate the recipes. So that's kind of the shtick with my show is we actually legitimately shoot it in my real kitchen. Um, we keep production to an absolute minimum, even down to the editing. I want everything to be as bare bones, uh, kind of like street fighting, I guess. Uh, if there was a version of that as far as cooking show goes. Um, just literally the essentials and trying to share what I love 
in the most basic way so that people can see that and be like, that guy doesn't even have new pots and pans. Like, and he was able to make that. So, I mean, you know what? I'm going to try it. So that's kind of the, I guess, the whole rundown with the cooking show, which, yeah, once again, I feel like you owe us a meal. Like you should come out here and cook for us. <laughs> I, was, hey, I mean, all you got to do is ask. I mean, a plane yeah, ticket I would be nice. Yeah, I, I, I'm feeling like I need a Philip White uh, uh, home-cooked meal. Sounds amazing. Well, it's funny. Like last night I made, uh, and I always, you know, write out these explanations when I post pictures. And I'm like, God, I sound so fancy. <laughs> But uh, like last night, I made uh, I marinated bone-in pork chops for about two and a half, three hours, and then I coarse seared them, but then baked them and covered them with a jalapeno glaze, uh, and then topped it with uh, an avocado, plum tomato, and red onion salsa, and then made a cilantro and lime rice cauliflower as the side. Because like I said, I got to try to start eating healthier because I'm old now. But that doesn't mean it can't be awesome. I mean, that sounds amazing right there. I would eat that. So the show, like I said, is called My Kitchen with Philip White. Uh, And you guys can watch it. It, uh, Josh, I know you said you had seen the first episode. It's on the King Network, which is a new network. Uh, It's highlighting just a bunch of artists, you know, different uh, people in different kind of areas. It's available for download on Roku as well as Amazon. And then you can actually stream it from kingnetworktv.com. But that's been an excellent opportunity. Like I said, it was something that just came completely out of right field. I had no expectation of that just whatsoever. Dude, what a blessing in disguise. That's awesome, man. Can, and, you know, congrats. I love the show. I watched the first episode. I even reached out to Philip on Facebook. And I was like, where are the other ones coming? <laughs> You know, but, you know, I think as we're kind of winding down here, Philip, I want to get an idea of what your recovery looks like now, right? Some people think once I get sober, I have to do this forever. People have a hard time picturing what mm-hmm. recovery looks like down the road. So now that you're down the road, what does your recovery look like? Maybe just kind of let the audience in on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. I couldn't ask for it to honestly be, I don't want to say easier because it's not, but I think in a lot of ways I kind of have done things a little differently. I'll be brutally honest. I never, well, rarely, rarely ever, uh, think about drinking. It just, it isn't something that crosses my mind. Um, about the only times that I ever even reference it is if we go somewhere you know, and there is alcohol and people are like, oh, no, we're sorry. And I'm like, look, I'm the alcoholic. You're fine. Just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean you can't have a donut, you know, because I'm at that point in my recovery where that's totally sustainable. But for me, because I do still work on my mindfulness, I do still try to be present and to listen to people with my relationship with my girlfriend. Uh, still to this day, you know, I asked her, look, if you see me kind of slipping back into old behaviors and you know, not drinking, drinking would be the absolute end point. But any of my old behaviors, even, you know, lying or even exaggerating on things, I need for you to let me know uh, because maybe I don't realize that I'm doing it. So I've tried and I do every day to stay on top of my recovery because one thing I've learned um, because I'm a smart 
recovery uh, meeting facilitator and stuff too now so i've done all that is you know drinking or using is the end of the process you know you have all these opportunities prior to that to acknowledge kind of your headspace your physical surroundings what may be going south and then to address it there um i also love work with people in recovery because like i said with me being a smart meeting facilitator with COVID, i haven't held any in-person meetings uh just kind of with the time frame on that but i do work with a few people they reach out to me on facebook or through you know friends of friends and because smart recovery just isn't really prevalent at all here like i said previously it's pretty much all 12 step and so kind of the modality of smart recovery is something that i'm trying to incorporate more into the community and then especially through uh different work with you know government and kind of being at least as far as i know the only politician in wilmington's history to just flat out come out and be like yes i'm a person in recovery yeah i think that's amazing and and i think that's a big part of why we started this podcast as well is i think we're we're chipping away at changing the stigma of being addicts or former addicts or former mm -hmm. alcoholics like we're all very uh, highly functional individuals in the world and i think people are quite surprised to hear there's even addict uh, in our past because we're so normal in the present. So the fact that you've actually been selected uh, to be in these political um, realms and you can you can briefly tell us about that while still owning this, I think that's incredibly powerful and, and very powerful for people to hear that and maybe want to get help themselves and realizing it's not the end of the world, it's just the beginning if they do want to get help. Yeah. I um, mean, as far as the politics, you know, that's one thing I've always been passionate about. Um, I definitely wasn't selected. <laughs> uh, a lot of the people in the status quo don't really like me uh, still to this day. Uh, I'm fine with that. If they like me, I think I probably shouldn't be involved in politics. Uh, politicians probably shouldn't like you. Uh, no, if you're working to make change. But I mean, I think kind of the biggest thing that happened to me and like we were talking about previously about me crying. I was an emotional wreck in my car after this happened, but I went to the grocery store one day because I am very public about my struggles, uh, you know, kind of the process of recovery and trying to help other people, you know, when I, however I can, I was at the grocery store and I was wearing my face mask and my face mask actually says Philip White for Wilmington city council on it because I'm you know running to be a city council member. Uh, the election is later this year. And I had a woman come up to me and she said, you know, are you Philip White? And I said, yeah. And she began to tell me a story about how her son is fresh in recovery. He just celebrated, I think it was, I may get this wrong off the top of my head, but his longest ever um, period of sobriety, which was 28 days, uh, 29 days. And how he was looking up to me and how they were big fans of the campaign and different things like that. And that was all well and good. And I'm awesome. But that's, I'm super happy that somehow, I don't know what I'd say about people looking up to me, but that that was working. But the thing that really hit me was when she started crying because she said as a mother, uh, she was just, she didn't have much hope for his future. He had been arrested twice for possession of heroin 
Um, so she said, you know, even in her you know biggest fantasies about his future, the fact that he has, you know, these things on his record and he does have, you know, an addiction, she's worried about it following for the rest of his life. And that seeing me kind of being out there and being so honest about my past and the issues where I have not and just flat out was not a good person uh, had really helped her. And I lost it, like just in the grocery store, just, yeah, just sobbing. And, but no, it was a really, really touching, really sweet moment. And, you know, that's kind of the whole goal is I would never tell any other addict how they should lead their recovery because that's your personal journey. That's your personal choice. But for me, knowing that I maybe have a little bit more of a megaphone, I wanted to kind of help people first of all. And then secondly, maybe bring myself as a person in recovery kind of out of the shadows a bit and, you know, show that, yeah, I mean, this can happen. So, uh, and, and obviously I think you've experienced and, and it's why I keep doing what I doing. There's no deeper feeling in our hearts than thinking maybe we help somebody else by sharing a part of us. Like, you know, it's, uh, there's nothing more oh, powerful. Yeah. Like I, I love it every time, you know, something like that happens with me. It just like kind of makes you like burst with joy, but also tears and knowing that maybe you help someone <laughs> by, by sharing your story or being yourself or just doing what you do. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's one of those things like that I never expected um, and really didn't plan, but has truly just turned out to be one of the most rewarding things that I've ever been involved with. Damn. Well, yeah, man, Philip, if I could just kind of reiterate one thing, dude, I'm super proud of you and how far you've come. And if there was one thing you could share with the audience that's been the most helpful for you in your recovery, what would it be? Um, the most helpful thing that I'd say, I would actually say two things. Uh, mindfulness, as I said, has given me the perspective and the peace of mind to be the person that I want to be. And then the relationship with my better half, um, her support and her willingness to not, ne not necessarily forget because you don't want to forget but to see the change and to work to deepen your relationship and to take it to places that it could have previously never gone because I was so wrapped up in my own, you know, BS. Um, the biggest reward for me is getting to be the boyfriend and the significant other that she deserves and deserved, you know, all those years ago. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Those are two things to be very excited about. And mindfulness is uh, unlimited. The benefits are unlimited. So, I mean, I appreciate you, yeah. you responding, and I appreciate you acknowledging that. Before we wrap up, Mr. Phillip, is, is there anything that you wanted to, to share about kind of what you're doing now? I know maybe most of our audience isn't from Wilmington, North Carolina. So maybe as far as, like, following <laughs> you on your city council journey – but is there anything, is there any, any way they can support you or anything that you wanted to kind of share with our audience about yourself? Um, well, I mean, as far as the politics goes, one of my main goals, like I said, is not necessarily to just be like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, you know, that kind of thing, because I don't think that accomplishes anything. Um, 
there are several things that I want to accomplish as far as being a person in recovery, you know, and hopefully being in a governmental position is one, I think we need here locally uh, and probably in a lot of places, but actually a subcommittee on substance abuse. Uh, thankfully, like a lot of areas, kind of the way that the law handles addiction is shift. That's that's an excellent thing. Uh, but with a lot of the things that we see, we kind of see this top-down leadership as far as addiction goes. No, everyone on the top are either politicians or doctors, most of them without a specialization in addiction. There's very little in the means of people actually speaking to people in recovery, uh, people that are still currently in active use, and saying, what do you think we could do to help? Um, that's one of my big things, um, is just shutting up for a little while and just listening. Um, that's, you know, a gift that people give you that, you know, you can't ever pay them, you know, what it's worth. But no, as far as uh, the city council run, uh, it's funny, I've actually spent the entire day trying to get the website up and all that and it's, oh Lord. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. But no, like I said, I have a Facebook page currently, which is just Philip White for Wilmington City Council. What I would ask is if anyone wants to share their experiences um, or anyone, you know, just needs an ear, I try my best to always be in here to listen and I will help in any way that I can. Because like I said, I, I say this all the time on social media, but I really am lucky to be where I am. And I think if anyone is given the gifts, the kind of gifts that I've been given and just kind of holds on to them and doesn't share them with anyone else, then that's just a self-serving personality. And I would argue probably still has some issues they need to deal with. So, but no, it's been an absolute blast being on guys. And I, you said you're proud of me. I am eternally grateful for you guys. Uh, like I said, I went in not liking a single one of you. Um, and well, I'm liking anybody flat out, including myself, but leaving, I won't say a different man because I'm still the same person, but, uh, leaving with a greater appreciation and gratitude for not only me, but for you guys, for all the hard, hard work that you do. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, thank you, Philip. I appreciate thank that, you. man. Yeah, we appreciate that a lot. And this has been fun for us too, man. We uh, we might need to do this again at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be yeah. following you in your... Hopefully as yes, we'll be following your journeys no. <laughs> with the city council, with the cooking show, with your sobriety. We'll be, we'll be following and we'll always be here. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to your future and watching you. Yeah, thank you. And like I said, if there's ever anything I can do, just let me know. You will, man. I told yeah. you, I want one of those dinners, man. <laughs> so just make it, box it up, overnight it. <laughs> so it might be the most expensive meal that you ever pay for, but you buy me a plane ticket and I will make Perfect. you whatever you want. You want scratch made spinach pasta? Perfect. You can have it. Thank whatever. you. Ooh, that sounds good, man. <laughs> Dallas is starving over here. I am. I'm super. I'm going to eat right after this. <laughs> But yeah, Philip, thank you so much for your time, man. I, uh, All right, guys, that's our show for today. 
We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.